Hi guys, welcome to our latest episode of The Heat Locker. Um, we haven't talked to you for a little while, so it's a bit exciting to be back on board. I've got some new, we've got some new technical gear here, so we've got a new mic that we're trying today, so hopefully it, hopefully it's a bit clearer and a little bit more pleasurable to listen to. I know most of you listen to the podcast in the car or uh, on headphones, so I'm hoping that this will definitely come through a little clearer. Uh, before we kick off, I just want to thank our sponsor, Endless Combat. Those guys uh, are kicking, kicking ass, um, still going really well, fantastic for all your training needs as far as rash guards and shorts, and uh, they also have apparel, things like jumpers and hats and shirts, so jump on their website, endlesscombat.com.au, and they're going to shoot me if I get it wrong with the AU. If you can't find it at AU, it's definitely .com. I apologize, guys, over at Endless. Uh, my brain's not working. I don't have the piece of paper in front of me. Uh, if you do happen to uh, buy something, you can apply a promo code for 10%. It's HeatLocker10 if you want to try and save yourself 10%. So today we're going to be talking to one of my young protégés, a young blue belt, or newly promoted blue belt, actually, um, most people in the gym know him as GB. I don't think I actually know his first name. I'll let him introduce himself. Uh, say hi to everyone, mate. G'day. Um, yeah, trained here for about a year. I don't know where GB came from, but... Do you know your name? What's your name? It's Liam. My, okay. my, my birth name is Liam Christian Bowhoot. Okay, there we go. It's so, the, full, the full name. Liam Christian Bowhoot. That's who we've got today in the, uh, in the heat locker. Um, he goes on Facebook, I think, by Leroy, and then... Um, we gave him the name GB when he came in here. For those that aren't sure where that came from, I'll just, because not everyone's going to know GB as far as who he is. So um, I'm sitting across from a 21-year-old guy, just turned 21 actually, and he's about 110 kilos, about six foot four. So he, he looks like a Viking. And uh, he would probably try and tell you that it's strawberry blonde hair, but it is a, it is definitely a, a shade of ginger. And... Um, it, so basically, we, we mixed silverback gorilla and, and ginger and came out with gingerback, hence the GB. So there you go. There's the nickname. It's uh, a fantastic story. And uh, no one in the gym actually knows what his real name is, including me. Yeah. Um, welcome, mate. It's good to have you yeah. in here. Yeah, it's good to be back. Good to be back in Australia. Just keep the mic up as close. Yeah, if you, keep it close to, if you keep it close to your mouth, yeah, okay. a bit. Of, yeah. um, so the reason we got him in here today, um, apart from the fact that I think he's definitely a prospect for for the future as far as local grappling talent, but also for mixed martial arts. I think, uh, you know, if he sticks with it, that, that he's definitely got the ability to go really well in, in that regard. Um, GB's just come back from New York. He went over and did the, the pilgrimage to Henzo Gracie Academy, and um, which is the, the, um, the trip that I did last October. So not October, just gone this year, October 2017. Uh, I went those, I think I've, I might have talked about this before, I went over and did two weeks staying in Manhattan <clears throat> and, uh, you know, training with the best guys in the world, Tudley, John and Danaher. Uh, I went and trained at Marcelo's as well. It was a phenomenal trip and I've always talked to, I've talked to GB about it now. Nearly every night we sit in the sauna and I reminisce about my training days back at Henzo's and... Um, for his 21st birthday, his uh, his lovely parents were kind enough to say to him, well, we can either buy you, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Yeah. 
uh, we can either buy you a car or would you like to maybe go on a trip of some type? I think they had visions of him kicking back on a beach in Ibiza or something like that. I'm notoriously hard to buy presents for. That's just, like, I've always been... I don't really want much. So, basically, when my grandparents died about a year ago now, they left a bit of money for everyone out of the inheritance. And out of that, mum sort of went, there was about... It was three of us, three of my siblings, and they left about about five thousand for each each kid. And originally, it was just going to be give it to them when they're twenty one, which works for the two. Like my my next younger sister's sixteen years old, so in four years she can spend that on a car or whatever she likes. But for me, it was sort of like I'm turning twenty one this year, and I definitely didn't want to just piss the money away and just you know have little purchases and spend it on you know iced coffee at the servo and then eventually it's gone in a year or so and um i i never really had a like i drive an old 94 vr commodore and and it is a fine piece of machinery i've uh, i've been it's a very nice it's very still nice it still runs so why, why spend money on a new car so yeah i sort of went luke luke actually put up a video from his trip to New York about a month before my birthday and it was him walking around the blue basement and I sort of went wow that that'd be a spin out and then mum sort of went what about a trip and I sort of put two and two together and next thing you know I'm on a 16 hour flight to New York and now I think the exciting thing here is is the fact that I think you've been relatively sheltered which is not a bad thing whatsoever you grew up on the mean streets of uh, Glenbrook, was it? What was it? Blue no, Mountains, The mate. Blue Mountains, yeah. Winmalee. Don't, the, the don't win- talk bad about the hood. <clears throat> the mean streets of Winmalee. Those that know Winmalee up in the Blue Mountains know that it's a it's a very, uh, very nasty neighbourhood. You you may have like an old lady look at you a bit funny while she's walking a dog. You never know the sort of trouble you'll get into. And uh, he'd never been on a plane before, but at the beginning of this year, we went to a grappling tournament up in Brisbane, and um, that was an experience for you. Uh, I was there while he uh, had his first plane trip, and then so he's gone from that as far as never, never leaving the state, never going anywhere, to heading over to New York City. So that's a big effort, especially by yourself. So I mean, I know you're a fully grown man, you're fine, but it's still a big, it's a big thing to take on. So um, we're going to talk about today just some of the stuff that he got up to over there. I think I think it's exciting hearing about people traveling to go and train like that. There might be people listening who are planning on wanting to do that and don't really know. So maybe we can maybe we can sort of go through some stuff and I think from what you were telling me there's been some kind of funny stories that have popped oh, yeah. up along the way oh, too yeah. so a million and one different stories yeah so so those that those that aren't aware here I think most listening to this probably are aware but some of the best jiu-jitsu players in the world come out of an academy in New York called Henzo Gracie Academy it's uh, right in Manhattan right in the middle of Manhattan on um, 29th I think it's 29th or 30th I think it's 30th, 30th and it's 30th. between 30th and 7th 30th 7th and 8th yeah and um, which is right in the middle of right in the middle like near Madison Square Garden basically yeah. in the middle of New York City and anyone in that area that wants to be really good at submission grappling tends to go there uh, there's one particular coach in there that kind of draws everyone in his name's John Danaher and Danaher is just this mastermind if you don't know who John Danaher is if you've never heard his name until I've just spoken it uh, definitely jump on his Instagram and have a look if you're not into uh, grappling and martial arts you may find it a little bit boring but if you're into that type of stuff he's the man and uh he's the coach of of um probably the best mma fighter of all time george st pierre yeah. he, he was george's mastermind really um also the coach of you know many many good guy chris weidman you name it a lot of the Jake best Shields. yeah a lot of the best guys have gone 
Um, probably coach to the best grappler currently in the world, Gordon Ryan. Yeah. And uh, just attracts, it's a hotbed. So um, I think it's exciting for you to go over there. So give us a bit of a rundown and we'll, we'll see where it goes. On the man himself? We'll start with nah, himself. not the man himself. So give us a rundown on the trip. So oh. yeah, tell us about well, you. Yeah, you say about things that people, if, they, if they're planning to go on this trip, and obviously there's going to be a lot of listeners that are better educated on flying than I am. Um, probably everybody, yeah. Probably everybody. But like you said, going from however long to Queensland it is, what, maybe an hour, to going 22, 23 hours in the air was was an experience and a half. I don't think I was ready. I remember sitting sitting down outside Sydney Airport ready to get onto the flight to uh, San Francisco, which is about a 15 and a half hour flight, and going... 15 and, a half, 15 and a half hours is like a whole day. Like that's a that's a whole day that I'm going to be in a plane for, sitting down. And then you get on the plane, you're sitting down in this seat and, you know, being a bigger guy, of course I just went in the economy. And- yeah, how'd you go? Because I, I tend to be seated generally somewhere between about five crying babies. Yeah. Um, you're well, never seated next to like the supermodel that, that's, uh, you know, super small and, and yeah. friendly and doesn't stink like, you know, someone's yeah. the backseat of a taxi. Well, thankfully, two two things that happened that were uh, kind of lucky is one, you told me before I left to get some noise cancelling headphones, which, yes. I, which I had, which yes. saved me many times. The uh-huh. second sort of thing that happened is both the fifteen hour flights are made a point of getting a exit seat. Ah, uh, very nice. So, so normally they'll they'll peg out guys that are uh, of a larger size when yeah. you're checking in, and they'll say. Did it say something like, are you happy to have an exit row? Well, no, I, I, got, you the, asked for it. I got the app. The, the ah, okay. App, and yeah, I yeah. just booked in early, yeah. as soon as the 24 hours hit, uh-huh. and instantly booked my seat. Now, both times I had those 15-hour flights, I didn't end up sitting in the exit seat because I was just being a nice guy. What, you gave it to someone else? I gave else? it to someone else. First time, so the first time I'm flying to, to San Francisco. You don't do that. 15-hour flight. I'm sitting in my seat, getting comfortable. Everyone's filing on, you know, as anyone that's flown knows that everyone's trying to fight for the overhead compartment. And there's this older guy shuffling down and he's lost half his bottom leg and my heart broke and I went, oh, where are you sitting, mate? And he went, oh, 34D. And I went, all right, mate, you have the seat. I went down and sat in the seat and that was the first flight. You're I kidding was, yourself. I would have sent yeah. him right to the back next to the shitter and he can sit down the back there. Yeah, I'm having no, that leg room. I, I, uh... I, I toughened out. And then on the way back, uh, a family, a, a guy with three kids, one of which was even t- like, like still was just spending the whole flight in the mum's arms. He was going to have to sit basically at the other end of the economy section to his kids. And I looked at this lady and she had the three kids and I went, oh, take the seat. So you got jammed in the little seat both times. Yeah. Well, I mean, the second time I was sort of thinking more selfishly because I saw about five kids and I went, all of those are going to be uh, yeah. screaming. That's, yeah, that's a smart tactic. Yep. So, but, but yeah, that, so I, I didn't get the window seat, so I was sort of crammed. I think that planes work best, like with anything, is everyone just thinks about other people just a little bit. Just like 10%, think about how other people are... Uh, so you mean if you need to do a fart, you don't do it or you hold on to it? Well, for, you hold on to it. If you if really? you got, if you got a big guy behind for, you... 15 if, hours? If you're like a, you know, five foot two lady that 
doesn't really need all the all the space in the world, and you got a six foot four ginger back behind you. Yep. Maybe don't jack your seat back to the point of where yeah. his knees are starting to like yeah. dig into your No, back. they don't care. They, don't they care. think it's their right, so they, they don't care. Right. Yeah. yeah. I could jack back and just mm-hmm. ruin the life of the summer bo- yep. person behind me. And I what know. you will learn is it's kind of like Sydney traffic, right? In an ideal world, everyone would be polite and we go one for one. But the, the reality is, is the quick and the dead. You just got to... So you, the person in front's going to put their seat back, you got to put your seat back. You, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was... I think other than that, that was the only difficulty with the flight was, was the space, yeah. the raw space. Tell us about the fence. So, so when you go... When you go over, guys, you don't fly directly into um, JFK, which is the big... Well, it's actually two... There's actually two big uh, airports in, in New York, but J, JFK, well, there's there's LaGuardia La 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 and, La um, and JFK. And Newark. Okay, so three main ones. You can fly into any of them, but generally JFK is the bigger one. Um, for instance, I flew over. I made sure I got connecting flights with Qantas in between, so my, my Qantas was door-to-door. Will you stop at LA because there's no direct flights to uh, to New York City? What GB decided to do was go uh, international flight with Qantas through to to LA and then switch over to one of the local American carriers in between. Now, this will save you a little bit of money as far as your internal transfer, but it means you're now flying on one of the American domestic carriers, which are notoriously bad. Tell us the fantastic stuff they did for you. I shouldn't bag out United too much. That's who I flew with, United Airlines. They're sort of... I think I think they're pretty widely accepted as the biggest American, at least domestic airline. I, I, they were every second second saying they were the biggest one, and I shouldn't bag them out too much because I mean they they did their job. They got me from point A to point B. I would B. bag them out. They did lose a bag of my stuff. Oh, only one. Yeah, one small bag they lost. Um, it did have training gear in it, which was a bit of a, a bit of a bad point considering I was going to New York to train. Um, different to you, but Luke, I flew into Newark, so right. I'm... That's because that was a cheaper option, right? No, for some reason, all the flights from my connecting, so when I flew to San Francisco, yeah. all the flights across that were sort of within a reasonable time You flew frame, to San Francisco? I flew to San Francisco. I went Sydney to San Fran, oh. San Fran to Newark, and then on the right. way back, Newark to LA, right. LA to Sydney. So I... I uh, it's a little unusual. Yeah, it was a little bit unusual, but I think it was because... I think that made an extra flight. So you were saying it was 15 hours to San Fran, was it? Yeah. Because it's about 13, 13, 14 to LA, so it's actually a little bit quicker. Yeah. How long was the connecting flight from San Fran to New York? Five hours. So it's about the same. So I think you end up yeah. flying longer doing it that way. Yeah, oh, I think That's why I would recommend well. going directly to LA yeah. and then Look, jumping over. There's a lot of things sort of, as we'll, as we'll progress, I'll sort of... You'll, you'll, you'll hear about them. There's a few things that you learn that if I, when I do go back, like obviously I'm going to go back sometime because it was an amazing experience. There's a few things I'm going to do that are going to be more expensive, but it's just, it's just stuff you have to do. Yeah, I mean, you pay for convenience, but it's, it's such a, like, people, people will go, people will go, I'm going to fly, I'm going to go to Europe and they'll find, they'll just, they'll, in the website, you can, you can sort by cheapest to make, like one of your search factors, yeah. cheapest. I think if you're budget shopping something like a flight, you either don't have enough money to do that holiday 
or you're a really big tight ass. But either way, yeah, I don't think it pays off in the long run. Like the no. flights just take it out of you. Like you want to get there as quick as you can. You don't want to be having stopovers of ten hours at airports and things like. You just want to Definitely. be, you know. And you've learned that, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's 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 the the flights were one were one thing. I mean, there's a certain degree of a fifteen hour flight's never going to be fun. Um, but there's definitely things you can do to make it easier on yourself. So, for example, my flight on the way back yesterday um, was way easier for me because, for one simple example, I, I dressed appropriately. So when I went over there, I was wearing, you know, sort of chino jeans and um, oh, lovely. a shirt and a jumper. Chinos. And, um, you know, I thought I looked pretty And did you spread stylish. the word of the good Mormon... The, the Book of Mormon while you're on the on the oh, plane. Yeah, I tried. He's no, not Mormon. That's that was just a Chino joke for those. <laughs> um, but I was yeah. After did the, you take a change of clothes for the? I did. I did. I did. And you didn't change. I didn't change. Uh, see, I talked to GB about before he's left, and he's a trip for t- travelers. If you're going on any sort of long trip, you can wear your your decent looking clothes, pair of jeans or whatever, from to get through the airport and get on the plane. As soon as the seatbelt sign comes off and you're in the air. You have a backup set of clothes, normally pajamas. Put them on. Be super comfortable for your whole flight. You get a bit sweaty and uncomfortable, whatever. You, you then, as you're going to come back in for landing, pop your other clothes back on, freshen up a bit, and it kind of compartmentalizes the trip. And I think it makes a huge difference. So, yeah, that definitely look, does. You got to listen. Yeah. You got to listen. Yeah, but no one tells you about this. One thing no one tells you about, especially being a bigger guy, is the size of the toilets. Ah. Oh. Uh, not not the, you know, you shouldn't be having to do bathroom acrobatics just to try and do a poo, which I was sort of struggling with. Um, well, also, just so you know, uh, unless things are really bad, you should never do a poo on the plane. You talk about being nice to you. Imagine that poor family sitting around the toilets yeah. once you dropped in that huge thing and wandered off. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Especially when you eating that horrible air, airplane, air, food. Air, airplane food. Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, you might be a nice guy giving your seat up to old ladies, but... yeah. yeah. Look, look, as far, the flights overall, apart from losing my training gear, which obviously was a bit of a sh- shitty point, um, mm. yeah, I got through it. Yeah. I'm not, over there was pretty exciting. I got some pretty, like, you, you sort of, you're flying over um, America, and if there's one thing you sort of know, I noticed about flying over America, I had nice sunny, sunny skies the whole way through, which was nice. Um, the landscape in America changes so uh, diversely. Like you, you start off in, in sort of San Fran, LA, and it's almost like marshland. There's a lot of sort of like farming land, and then you close the little visor and you open it up again. Suddenly you're flying over like desert. the Rockies, and mm. like it's like snowy mountains, and then you close it again and it's desert. You open it again, and it's like like uh, Midwest farmland, and mm. it's like my God, these different countries. Like it's it's. It's a spin out how different the landscape is, um, but then we got but then you get to New York. Um, so we get we get to New York, we get off the plane. By it was about eight nine thirty at night. By the time I collected my bags, realised one bag was lost, and uh, any anyway decided to go to the hotel, or the guest houses morbid as it was and uh, I ended up just catching a taxi so I, I did I did do the, the so the first place was a hotel or was, it was like a guest a, house a guest house meaning so like an Airbnb booked, no it was booked through booking.com so mm. it was all it was all official like this place actually I'm going to go back there not to be too foreboding I'm going to go back there this week and tell the lady 
to take it off their registers. And yeah. Just, like, you can't... This place was... Yeah. Yeah. Was the issues the way it was run? Was the issues the actual establishment itself? Or was a bit of everything? A bit of everything. I mean, for one, I'll, I'll explain sort of... This is in this is in Chai State in Chelsea, which is sort of a bit more downtown. Um, so for those that don't know Manhattan whatsoever... Manhattan's an island, and it's one of the five boroughs, what they call the five boroughs of New York. Um, the five boroughs being, do you know? Uh, Queens. Yes. Brooklyn. Yes. Uh, it's not the other side, so it's Brent, Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, Bronx. Yes. Um, Harlem's not one. Um, I'm, 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 I'm. No, I can't do the other. I think you find that the third is... Um, Long Island. So either Long Island or Staten Island. I get I confused which one it is. It might be Staten Island. I think it's Staten Island. Yeah. But anyway, it's 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 all situated in around this little river system. And Manhattan is kind of the what people know as New York City itself yeah. is where all the... Um, Times Square. Yeah, that's where all the buildings are. That's now. where everything is, yeah. yeah. And um, Chelsea is is one of the little little communities. And they might... Each little, little area might be... It's not fair to call it a suburb. It's like a few blocks, you know, yeah. like... Chelsea's... Um, Chelsea's one down near Marcelo Garcia's gym down on 20... Mm. It runs about 26 down yeah. to 15th or something. Where were you on? I was on... I was past 14th. Okay, so, so right, it might run a bit... I, I it runs actually, down to the financial yeah. district pretty pretty yeah. much. I did I did a fair bit of... Because a bit of a history, history buff. Um, I did a bit of research and where I was staying, Chelsea's like the old meatpacking industry. Okay. So when... Because it's right near the docks... Uh, when the, the, the meat would come off the docks, that's where it would go to be processed. That was sort of like the markets, if you will. And nowadays, meat. a lot of meat gets processed there because what's it known for nowadays? Well, there's a lot of delis. There's a lot of like artisanal markets. And it's also, very... it's known as the homosexual area, from my oh, understanding. Well, uh, Did you know about this when you uh, booked your accommodation? Well, you, you told me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, and that's not even being funny, it just is. It's it like is, saying that yeah. Oxford Street uh, here is known for the, you know, like, has been like the homosexual area. Oh, yeah, area. no, it definitely it's is. The like, same, you you walk into Chelsea and uh, they have like the, the little uh, sort of vendors that sell the paper, and one of the, the papers that they, they run is called The Gay News, as if it's like a Tim and Eric sketch. Like, it's literally called The Gay News, and it's all about different gay affairs that are going on in New York. Um, so I stayed in Chelsea. Very so, fitting, very fitting for the young, the young uh, mountains boy. Yeah, yeah, going, going in there. Yeah, as, as all, if in, I wasn't. all innocent. Yeah, and I and I'm going to stay at this guest house. Yeah. over on Fifteenth Street. So sort of right in the heart of, of, sort of local New York. It's not like touristy as far as you get when you go to like Times Square and there's like, um, you know, souvenir shops. It's it's very much a regular concourse of people coming and going to work. I think it's because it's close to financial district. Um, and I go to stay at this hotel, and the the manager of the hotel, Gary, his name was. Um, Already, I like Gary. He yeah. sounds like a good guy. Yeah, oh yeah, he sounds Gary. like a friendly guy. This guy's about sixty years old, um, and probably the creepiest dude I have ever met in my entire wow. life. Uh, to paint a picture for you, I arrive at this old hotel. Looks like something out of the haunted mansion. Once again, people listening, when you shop on a budget, this is the sort of things that happen. Yeah. Well, to, to, to my own credit... If Grandpa had hooked you up with 10 grand, you wouldn't have got a... No, I think I would have. It, it looked like a nice place. That. Okay. Fair to, enough. To, you know, fair, credit to me. It, it, yep. There was no terrible reviews online about it. It was... It looked 
fine when you, it looked old, but I mean, it didn't. It looked like well kept. And I think not, maybe, in all seriousness, that it was. It's kind of known as being like a place for homosexual people to stay. Well, it is, and you just miss that. You miss that on when the booking.com. Look, book yeah. look up Chelsea Muse Guest House. If That's you go, give that a Google, uh, you'll find that it's actually advertised as a male-only gay retreat with clothing optional. Now, obviously, that's not something that they should really be selling. I have a everyone. shocked face right now because I, uh, yeah. I'm very shocked that uh, that you managed to miss that. Yeah, I well, nearly it's, feel it's, like it's known as that was what it was known as, and then it ah, got sold. Yeah, of course, it was. Yeah, it got sold to a new owner, and the new owner was saying that no, it's just a regular hotel. Now. But the new owner wasn't Gary. The new Gary's owner wasn't the, Gary's Gary, the concierge. The, What's we see the concierge? Has, he he's but I think he's just the manager. He yeah, lives okay. on the bottom floor. Yeah, of course he and lives on Gary the bottom floor. Gary was yeah. the one who has been running for the last couple of years a gay men only optional clothing retreat. Yes. So he's so it's hard hard for Gary yeah, to beat old habits. Yeah. 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 Gary sort of uh, yeah yeah old habits die hard. So when he has the young GB rocking up oh. to his door, he. Uh, Bit of, bit of twenty year old fresh young yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. You have nine thirty at night in a country I've never been in. I'm tired. I'm dirty. And this is when you hit the hotel. You hit this the hotel is, at night. This 30. is me hitting the hotel. Yeah. I walk into this old archaic house. I walk up these two flights of stairs, and I'm waiting for him. And he keeps going into this room and coming back out again, and sort of clarifying who I was, which I thought was pretty, you know, pretty standard. He might be checking a guest book or like checking the reservation, whatever. And then as he comes up and he's taking me up to the room. He starts dropping these hints, and I mean, I, I've I've been hit on before. Like, it's it's happened. Hit on, um, hit on by older homosexual men, or you're just no, saying no, by just like hit okay, on. you've just been hit on, right. hit on before. Gotcha. Yep. And then and then you sort of you, like, there's when you're hitting on someone, you're like maybe drop like a subtle hint here and mm. there. Yeah, Gary didn't do that. Gary was like he didn't understand. The no, su- no, 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 side, no, no, right. no. He wasn't dropping subtle hits. He was like dropping a, a tank on your head. Yes. He, he came yeah. out with uh, I think the first line he said was I like Gary. He had the sort of Brooklyn axe. He's like you're a very attractive young man, GB. Oh yeah. Oh, not GB. Uh, yeah, my <laughs> name. You're very attractive. Even he young doesn't man. know your real name. <laughs> you're a very attractive young man, Liam. And I was like, oh, okay, mate. Alright. Because what do you say? At to this that? stage, are you realizing that you've booked the wrong hotel? Or at you're this still stage, at this stage I, I'm thinking, sort of thinking, how much would it be to find oh, another hotel? Yeah, people are really friendly in, in Yeah, Brooklyn. well, you know, maybe I'm just. So this wasn't Brooklyn, bud, just no, to remind no. everyone, it's in Manhattan, we're in Chelsea. Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he, he drops those hints, and I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just harmless enough. You know, I don't care if. I, I'm not. Yeah. If a gay guy thinks I'm hot, whatever. That's, you know. All power to him, yeah. All power to him. But then he starts being quite aggressive with it and saying like oh so you train i'm like yeah you know i I do some training i was i was actually sort of hoping that if i sort of dropped enough hints that i was here to do some martial arts training you might back him off a bit yeah i think i'm a bit of great no that that rolled him up a bit rolled him up a bit he was like uh oh so you train uh you must be so athletic and strong then i was like oh you know i i I, I do my best gary he's like you know i'd love to see you with your shirt off oh and I was well, like, clothing was optional. I mean, you got to remember this. Well, I was like, I mean, it's probably only what zero degrees in the New York winter. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah, you know, not exactly clothes off weather. But is there heating inside this particular building? Yes, okay, yes, the heating, the well, heating right. was there. That's good. Um, and then he's he's like, uh, you know, and if you take your shirt off, you might as well take your pants off as well. Oh. So he keeps obviously at this point. I'm I'm getting the vibe that this guy might be trying to seduce me here. so now you're in your underpants and trying to find your room <laughs> i'm like can i just get to sleep please um no so then he's he keeps dropping these really forward hints and uh 
I'm like, yeah, all right. I, I was sort of in my head concocting, I've got to think of a way to sort of get this guy off my back. Is Gary fully clothed at this stage? Gary's is... still fully clothed, okay, but I'm like, I've got to give Gary the idea that I'm definitely not here for this. Yes. Um, so you put your pants so back on. My, my brilliant idea was to essentially make up a story. So I, I sort of dropped a hint that You're I had. here to see your wife and kids? I had a fiancé back home. Okay, right. Yep. He called my bluff on it. He's like, uh, so so. Uh, this is in the room, by the way. He's he's making the bed as if that's not creepy enough. There yeah, because no the bed shouldn't the bed. be made before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's he's making the bed, and uh, I'm I'm telling him, oh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier that you went to this hotel. Too. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I got many stories out of it. So he's like, uh, yeah, what's your fiance's name? And I'm like, Angie, <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh. And uh, how how old she? And I and he runs through this sort of usual series of questions, and I I I think it was fear alone that was motivating me to think that fast. I'm like 24. We've been together for four years. Uh, we're aiming to have kids together. All this sort of, like trying to make it as clear as mm-hmm. possible that I'm straight and not interested. Not here for a gay retreat. Yeah, exactly. And then he sort of brushes that all off and shuts down my whole plan by going. Um, well, you know, I've had plenty of engaged men stay here and pretty, plenty of engaged men have ended up in my bed with me after night two. Lovely. And then this is... So that at this point, I'll say that the, the flirting has been somewhat harmless. It's been forward, but it's been harmless. And in all seriousness, by the end of it, it actually was getting to the stage where it was quite aggressive. And this was sort of the first part of it. Because after he says that, he goes... Um, not all of them were excited to be in the bed at, at the first time. Some of them needed some coaxing to get in there. But once I got them in there, um, they started to enjoy it. I'm sort of thinking, what are you saying here? Like, yeah, at this stage, I'm probably uh, not waiting for yeah, him to finish the yeah. bed. I'm probably saying, look, mate, I'll sort yeah. something else out. And I will say that while he's making the bed, it's a tiny room. So you got to understand, most rooms, unless you're paying a lot of money for them, most rooms that you're going to get in uh, Manhattan, Manhattan yeah. are tiny. Yeah. So it's this tiny room, he's making the bed, which takes about half the room, and he's intentionally making it his point to essentially slut drop on my crotch. Um, Lovely. And grind up against me while he's trying to make out that he's doing the bed. And I, sw- I take off, I'm like, I walk out of the room, I'm like, make the bed and fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> this is fantastic. So that's night one. He leaves, um, says another terrifying thing and leaves. Uh, I go to sleep, crush pretty well, get up early the next morning, Thankfully, the uh, the jet lag had me waking up at about 4.30 in the morning, which I ended up just using. So I, I'd get up and do my walking before everyone was on the street. Um, I was averaging, I had my phone in my pocket. Every day I was in New York, I averaged about 11K. So I was walking a lot, seeing things. and um, So I was up before he, he got out of the bed, before he could, you know, assault me again. And uh, But by night two, I come back home, so I've, uh, it's, it's about... About three in the afternoon, I've come back from. Uh, I've done a training session at Brooklyn, um, and I've done. A, I've gone and organised my my uh, uh, gym card at, at uh, Henzo Grady. So I've sort of seen the big points that I came to see. Yeah. So you went over to Brooklyn that day and trained yeah. with Jason yeah. Rao and those boys. Jason Rao, yep. uh, obviously, who came out to our gym. Uh-huh. Um, he was lucky enough. He actually he allowed me to train um, with sort of his one of his core training groups, and they just get together and. I actually got a photo with all of them, and it's like brown belt, black belt, brown yeah, belt, it's black awesome. belt, and it's like not just like brown, like I'm like world class people. Mm. So like I, I was, I was in there with sort of his regular life, which was cool. Um, about three o'clock in the afternoon, I come back to the hotel, 
I'm walking up these three flights of stairs and as I come up I hear someone like ruffling and I'm going that sounds like it's from my room yeah around the oh, corner I can see where this is going um, Gary's making the bed wink, he's wink. walking out of my room and my door's unlocked and I'm like he's like oh how hi how are you and walk straight past me and I'm thinking something's not right here walk in of course the luggage bag is open and all my clothes are like out in piles on my bed so Gary sorted your clothing for you I called Gary up immediately. That's like, I'm very, if anyone that knows me, I'm very like, I'm socially awkward up until a point at which I just like... So the breaking point wasn't for him asking you into your into his bed. The breaking yeah, point was, was he opened he your went, luggage. He right. opened my luggage and went through all my stuff. Okay. Purely because at, the, at this point I'm thinking my passport's in there. Like all my money's in there. My bank cards are in there. You know. I call him back upstairs and I'm essentially like, like I'm like, yeah, this is it. I'm confronting it. Like, I'm staying here for six nights. I got it. Like, I'm not just carrying on with this. So to confirm for everyone, you hadn't booked that accommodation for your entire stay. You no, were kind of staying there yeah. for half so, of it, basically. For, yeah, a little under half yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, so, so Gary comes up. Yep, Gary comes up and I'm like, essentially like, what the fuck? Like, you obviously have gone yep. through my shit. Yeah completely unfazed you just like yeah no I've, I've been through going through your stuff I was just putting your stuff away for you I'm like yeah. do you think that's a he's just a good he's just a good host I think you've really got, got <laughs> you haven't got a good read on him maybe maybe it was like all part of the service it's yeah that's what I think yeah, like I think I think you just don't understand yeah, it yeah probably um, and he was just like I was just looking for any dirty washing if in case you wanted me to do it I was like no yeah, mate it's all good yeah. I can handle my own washing thank you he's like you sure like I can wash your dirty underwear for you and things like that yes as if that's not a creepy enough thing to say, I want to wash your dirty underwear. Gary sounds fantastic. And um, I sort of get up him a little bit about it. I'm like, look, this is completely unacceptable. I want the keys to my room. Because like, there was a lock on the door, but obviously he has a master key. Yeah, I mean, every hotel's like that. You're never going to have... Yeah. Because remember, the, the I don't know, they probably don't have house cleaning or anything. No, like no that. they didn't yeah. have house cleaning, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I want the keys to my room now, yeah. or I want some sort of safe. Like, I want somewhere to lock my stuff because I'm not carrying my stuff around all day. Yeah. And you can't be coming into my room. So all this still wasn't enough for GB to go and find himself somewhere else to stay. This was still, you thought you were soldier on here? I thought I was soldier on here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Prepaid, so, you know, might as well. And, um... That's the inner tight house coming out, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you'll, you'll put up with literally being all but raped. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then... He comes out with possibly one of the scariest things everyone's at. This is, remember, if anyone's listening, this is night two. Not even night two. This is, I've stayed there for one night. I've got another five nights here. And as this guy's walking out of the room, he goes, well, you know, I'm sorry for trying to help you. It'd be a shame if your passport or anything went missing and you had to stay here for a long time. Then we could really get to know each other. Oh, yeah. Essentially threatening, I'm going to steal your passport so you can't leave. It's like hostile. Sounds great. Yeah, like literally something out of a horror movie. So, I'm like... Right. So I'm like, look, I'm look in Gary's much, dungeon for the rest of my life. <laughs> how much is it going to be for me to get the keys to this room so I can have my own lock? And he's like, well, usually it's about 450 American dollars, but oh, for yeah. you, because I think you're cute, I'll oh. give it to you for 300. That's nice of him. I thought about it and I was like, whatever, screw it. Gave him the 300 bucks. Initially thinking I was going to get it back when I left, which I didn't. He's laughing because he's got another key. Plus, he just made the 300 dollars off you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you haven't left a bad review yet? No, not yet. Okay. I'm saving it up. It's going to be like a... Oh, it better be like a, like, like a like a thesis. A novel, yeah. yeah. Um, so, from then on, I, I got the sort of got the rhythm of it and uh, 
essentially spent the rest I'd, of the week I'd, in, I'd, I'd in Gary's up, bed. I'd wake up. <laughs> I'd wake up early in the morning, leave, and then come back early afternoon and not leave my room. Oh, that's fantastic! But I'd sprint to my room and uh, so he couldn't catch yeah. you. I think that's fantastic. Did that put a, a dampener at all, or you were kind of fine? You were fine. You just kept kept motoring forward. Look, if he'd been like one of those like bear type of gay dudes, where it's like. You weren't sure if you get it over. Giant like Hapthor Bjorgsen. Yeah. If he walked into my room with like a black belt from Marcelo Garcia. Yeah. I might have been a bit more worried. You might have moved. But you know what? I reckon if he like shot on me, I could. I reckon I, I could probably, probably high elbow or something. Yeah. Yeah. Worst case, go on his legs. He has like the. He would have liked you to go on his legs. I imagine. You reckon? Yeah. Like, as you as you catch the heel, he yeah. like achieves yeah. achieves climax. Look, I'm just anyway. So that that's your accommodation. Tell us about the training. Amazing. So. I mean, people say it, but it, it's, it can't be said enough. There's levels to this this sport. And, like, I, th- I don't think I'm horrible. You know, I train pretty hard. I put in the work, and I, I do my best to sort of learn the techniques. And, obviously, we've you know, got a good coach and got a good training team here. And um, But then you go and you train with, like, the world's best people. And you realise there's just... There's just levels to this, and you have so like I, I speak of famous people that we mentioned. As far as people that I actually got to wrestle with, um, I got half a round with young young Nicky Ryan. Yep. Um, I got a round with Jake Shields, former UFC fighter. How was that? So I didn't actually train with Jake when when I was there, but everyone says Jake's just a nightmare. He's just pressure forward, super strong. He's he's exactly what you'd think if like a high level high level black belt that had gotten his game honed for MMA as mm. in staying on top yep. pressure passing and just giving you no hope to yeah. do anything um, yeah they, they messed, messed me up I mean that was the phenomenal thing uh, yeah. with his match with Craig Jones because Craig mm. tapped him in under a minute which tells you, you where, where good, Craig's at yeah. how good Craig is yeah, um, yeah so I, I wrestled with him young Doug everyone from our gym would know Bronx Bronx martial arts, the shorts. Yeah, so a guy that I met, I met uh, Doug Plankovic. Plankovic, Doug's um, Doug's about fifty, super awesome guy. He, uh, I ran into him when I first started training there, and he was this guy that was kind of circling the mats like a shark, and everyone kind of nearly avoids him to the point where you're like, I wonder what's going on here. This this guy, I'm like, I'll be, I'll get around in here with him, and then you realise he's actually one of the best guys in the room. It just happens to be that. Yeah. He doesn't compete on the world stage. So the average punter doesn't know he is, but everyone else in that gym knows that yeah. Doug's just going to absolutely just a, maul you a, alive. A nightmare. Um, he owns Bronx Martial Arts. He also owns another couple of uh, academies as well. He has John Danaher teach his Monday night session up there, which no gym in the world has other than Enzo's. Mm. Um, yeah, Doug's just phenomenal. He just won um, the Masters Division... Just won his Masters Division at the World Championships uh, for Nogi on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Never competed in... In his life, he'd never done a jiu-jitsu competition before. And this is a guy who was one of the best black belts in the room. Never done a jiu-jitsu competition. Decided his first comp would be at 50 in the uh, at the World Championships and, and smoked everyone. So, yeah. Look, yeah. If, you, if, you, if you saw... When you see him wrestle and you you feel how strong but also how technical he is and how, how knowledgeable he is and then you realise he's 50, before I found it, like, if you said to me... Doug's going to go compete in just the absolute division like what Gordon did this weekend at No Gear Worlds. Man, if someone said that it ended up being Doug and Gordon in the final, you wouldn't say that oh, yeah. possible. And that's the crazy thing. That's like, the crazy thing. When I was over there, I said to a few people, Who, who's Doug? Like, who's this guy? 
And and the the general response was, Doug doesn't compete. Doug could walk onto the ADCC finals mats tomorrow and do very well, do very well, mm. um, which is crazy. You think there's guys in these gyms who just choose not to compete who are as yeah. good, who as good as some of these other. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. See, in most gyms, the guys who choose not to compete, as a general rule, it's not fair to say overall, but as a general rule, those guys aren't quite as good because they haven't honed their skills through competition. But there's some of these guys like. Um, you know, like Doug, and there's a couple other guys in that academy as well of the same sort of mould, where I think they're around such high-level competitors every day that they get dragged yeah. up by those guys anyway, nearly like every day. Like, every yeah. day is probably tougher than your average jiu-jitsu competition anyway. Yeah. Look, if you're... I'm a big believer in the fact that, you know, you're going to adapt to the to the to what's around you. You know, if you can stick it out for long enough, you end up, you know, becoming becoming as tough as your surroundings kind of like you with Gary at this hotel yeah you, you sort of stick it out long enough stick it out long enough and eventually you just learn to relax and take it in um, so I think if you spend any amount of time at Henzo Gracie any amount of time at Marcelo any time at like a high level gym you're just gonna it's inevitable that you get better even if you're just showing up like it's inevitable for you to get better, and I guess that's true of all jiu-jitsu gyms, but almost more more so to the to a point at at Henzo's. Now I think that has a caveat to it in the sense that as much as I enjoyed my trip, if I, um, you know, in a perfect world, you'd probably I'd say wait till you're a a, a purple belt or a brown belt because purely because of the level of competition in that room. For me, until I sort of got my head around it and learned to, you know, find some of the purple belts and because you got to understand, purple belt is like pretty much the one of the lower belts in the room because everyone's a brown belt or black belt. Yeah, and the tricky thing is everyone's got just random rush guards yeah, on. You don't exactly. actually know who's what belt. Yeah. yeah. So until I sort of found a few people that I could hang with, it's just getting yeah. smashed. Yeah. Which is fun. I mean, I still found it fun because you're like, I'm getting smashed by a world champ. Yeah, but, but if you if the if the skill disparity is too high, it doesn't necessarily necessarily benefit either athlete. So if every day in the gym you went against Gordon Ryan and Gordon Ryan every day in the gym went against you, it's not going to help Gordon necessarily. Not going to help you necessarily. I think that the skill sets need to be kind of closer, right? Yeah. Um, there's definitely something to be said about going with someone higher level like that to just experience what it's like and you, motivate you and think this is what I could achieve. But uh, definitely, if it was every day. So what you're saying, I mean, for those that for those that uh, aren't from our academy, young GB here has only been training jiu-jitsu for 12 months, just over 12 months, which is phenomenally fast for me to give a blue belt to anyone. I gave him a blue belt about three weeks ago, maybe. Is that what it was? Well, about a month. About a month ago. Months, yeah. Okay. Um, I haven't given anyone a blue belt that quickly. This um, gorilla sitting in front of me here, not just because of his size, actually despite his size, is pr- probably one of the fastest learners I've ever I've ever come across. I'm not trying to bump him up too much, but um, I'm not trying to be a Gary here, but uh, he, he's got like like this autistic ability, and I mean that with all, all love, to retain information. Mm. Um, I think we're all somewhere on the spectrum, and I think you're, you ride that fine line between 
um, still being able to function in society yeah. and actually be able to use yeah. the ability to take on information. So, like, I'll be teaching a class and this guy is looking out the window, but then it comes time to drill and he's got it down better than everyone else. So there's something there. So I think you saying you had a hard time of it. I think if your average blue belt went over there, it would be too much for them. They'd, yeah. they'd go, this is just overwhelming. Yeah. I think you you learned that quick that after two weeks, you probably found you were sort of, okay, I'm getting a bit of a feel for what's happening. Yeah, you were sort of hanging, I was hanging in there with like the yeah. level brown belts. And, and now the, the other thing to consider is when I went, we weren't doing any of the systems that they're doing there currently. Whereas for the last 12 months, I've basically taught Danaher's systems as best as I can. I'm not I'm not saying I'm remotely anything like John Danaher. I'm just saying taught um, components of his system. So you've got an understanding of the Oshiro from the, from back or yeah. you, you know um, kind of it's not just shocking you when they're going for these entries. So that would have helped you as well. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely good not not having to learn a whole new game or a whole new set of moves. Like I think as far as like new moves, there was like one or two moves I was like, I've never seen anyone do that before. Most of it was just variations from those moves. Which, I mean, when you look at the world's best guys, that's essentially what they all do. They know, like they, they know how to do everything, but like you, you've said many times with like high-level wrestlers, they'll have one or two things they're really good at and a million and one setups from that. So like, like look at uh, Nicky Ryan, who's probably up there with one of the better guys in, in, in the world even. Um, his back attacks I mean he's good at everything he's terrifying but his back attacks are like ex- exceptionally terrifying um, like everyone uh, people would know he, he just fought uh, Imanari the great Imanari yeah, he went in, on, yeah. In on, they, they had a match on Polaris yeah. and really dictated the entire match basically yeah just took yeah. his back and choked him out and when you see him in training he does that to everyone yeah And but, but as much as you know he's gonna take you back and choke you out it's almost like he's got that many setups and that many ways of beating whatever defense you have that it's it's just impossible yeah. to, to, to... But get. you know what's exciting about that? The exciting thing about that with jiu-jitsu is it's not because he's some type of physical athlete or specimen. Mm. He's actually not. His yeah. brother, and who knows, maybe Nicky will when he gets a bit older. He's only 17. But his brother's, you would have to say, he's probably more athletic than him. Yeah. Um, but... But Nicky's got access to so much high-level information, and he obviously has a very good ability to retain it and then de- deliver it under pressure. Yeah, it shows you that you don't have to be the best athlete. Now, the fact yeah. that you're a very good athlete obviously is, is something that is very helpful. If you if you get someone who's a great athlete plus the ability to put it all together plus the ability to work under pressure in competition, that's when you get a world champion. Yeah. and that's yeah. that's what's exciting. You know, um, you know, with yourself, it's exciting to see where you go forward from here. I think you've got the ability to retain information. You've come from a high level of football. You've shown you're an athletic. You know, you're a, you're an, you're an athlete. Now it's all a matter of how does it get put together in yeah. under stressful competition yeah. st- um, situations. Look, there's, you know, yeah, no, if there's one thing that you sort of you take, I've taken away from from this trip that's amazingly exciting is. Everyone, like when everyone, everyone's been a white belt, right? Everyone that's most of the people that are listening to this probably trained some form of jujitsu. And when you do that sort of first one, nah, week, bro, I was never a white belt. I went straight to purple belt. belt. I tapped out a black belt on my first day. That's right. Um, well, for everyone else, when everyone else has been a white belt, and you have that first, let's say, first few weeks to a month where you just get smashed, you don't know nothing, you just, you know, it's hell. And then you learn to do, let's just say, like an arm bar or something, or a triangle. And you get that triangle for the first time and you're like, I learnt this, I didn't know it, I've learnt this and now I can do it to people. 
it's that like I can learn anything. This has been sort of you talk about wider what I've gotten out of jujitsu in general is I really truly believe now that I have the ability to do anything in the world. Yep. And it's interesting because um, Henzo Gracie, one of the like all time greats, mm-hmm. he he taught a Saturday session when I was there. That's awesome! You got to be in yeah, Henzo the class great, too. The yeah. Great Henzo. And no one knows when he's coming in. He just yeah, walks up he and goes, "My friend, I'm yeah. here to do this. Yes, yes. We'll do it alive. We want the best guard and." Uh, he sort of had this little speech the end, and this is along the lines of what he said he was talking about look in jiu-jitsu it's like essentially like problem solving and you know you stuck at it you suck at it to start with and then you learn and everyone can get better than where they were so the way I've sort of interpreted that and applied it to my life is no matter what I want to do in life no matter what challenge that I might face I know that if I put in enough time into it yep I can learn how to get better at it enough to, to to overcome that. Or to improve yourself, yeah. Yeah, so like like you talk about seeing these guys and getting smashed and you're like, there's just levels to this. The, the sort of the flip side of that is, you know, I've wrestled with Gordon Ryan. Gordon Ryan's moveset isn't some crazy shit that I've never done before. It's all the stuff we do every day. The difference is, is that he's put more time into it. Uh, he, he, he's worked harder for a longer time. But there's nothing saying that anyone can't get to oh, his, definitely. his I mean, level of knowledge. Given the right information... Now, this is the problem, okay, if we're going to talk about jiu-jitsu academies. A lot of them are not delivering the best of information. Yeah. Uh, and by a lot... I mean, it depends on what you call the best of information, right? If you... Maybe good information for you is just the ability to maybe protect yourself and do an armbar from guard. But if I mean by the best of information to be able to be maybe even like a world champion. That's a different subset of skills generally. And um, a lot of these people aren't on that same line of information that the Danaher guys are doing. And that's why in submission grappling, and even, I mean, it's starting to flow over a little bit with Gordon into the Federation-type rule set, um, they're they're very out-of-the-box thinkers. They're not just doing the same. They're they're using the the concepts and skills that we've known with Jiu-Jitsu for many years now that has been passed on from sort of coach to coach. But then you've got this guy Danaher who's just unpacking that and then making new pathways, and it's it's unbelievable. And that that's that's another reason why those guys are substantially better than everyone else. I mean, there's a there's numerous reasons, but that that access to information is phenomenal, and that's what I'm trying to give the guys here at Sydney West is without us being in New York City sitting in front of John Danaher, how can I get as close to that as we as we can? And what I've also realized is you can create world champions from small gyms. Um, you don't have to be, like you see it in MMA, there's world champions out of gyms that are quite small. Mm. There's world champions um, in jiu-jitsu out of it. Craig Jones. I mean, mate, he's just this young guy from Australia who was training in Adelaide initially. Like, the guy's phenomenal. You don't, it's not fair to think, oh, I can't make it, I'm not over there doing that. Like, there's, there's, there's ways to do it. There's definitely yeah, ways to do it. For sure. And, and uh, sort of, if you, you talk about the man... Uh, John Danaher himself, um, obviously he's like a uh, philosophy background and when I, when I was in uni I did a bit of philosophy and uh, as little as I did you can definitely see some parallels between the way that he approaches jiu-jitsu and, and the, the sort of the, the physical um, performances that his, his athletes put on. It's very systematic. Yeah. It's very. What's that philosophy mindset? He looks yeah. at it. He looks at each jujitsu move as a problem. He then identifies what are the common things that my opponent 
will be trying to do here. What can I do to solve that? And then what is he going to do when I try to solve it? He just kind of works very logically yeah. through it rather than just, oh, look, I was shown in that position just to do this move, so I'll just teach that move. And that's yeah. that's the thing that's changing yeah. the game. And the big thing that we do a bit of here, which um, I think anyone, and I'm only just sort of understanding it since being to New York, is the value in teaching things conceptually as opposed to teaching series. Mm-hmm. Like everyone loves learning a new armbar move or a new Kimura move. But putting the time into learning concepts as opposed to series, and what I mean by that is learning sort of the overall mechanics behind what you're trying to do. So, for, for example, one of the, one of the days uh, he taught um, some concepts with regards to passing, um, over-under passing. Pretty standard move. A lot of people have built whole, like, world-beating games over over-under passing. But he's teaching it from a conceptual point as in this is what your opponent's trying to do, this is what you're trying to achieve, and these are the three sort of main problems that you're going to run into when doing this, or the three main things that you need to aim to do when doing this. And I think that helps a lot more than learning in series at times because you know, you, a series is sort of bound by the constraints of the move that you practice. It takes a long time, like everyone can learn an armbar, but it takes a while for you to understand all the different setups for an armbar, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, no. What you're saying, what you're saying is, it, it makes great sense. Like the, if you, the other thing is, most people don't have the ability to remember long chains of information, especially early on in the piece when they're kind of learning jujitsu. So I find if they understand a concept, and it sounds a little bit wanky to say it, oh, you know, concept, concepts. But I'm not saying only teach conceptually. I think you still need to at some stage go, okay, now let's put our left foot here, let's put our right hand here. But if they understand the concept, okay, we need, let's say for an armbar from guard, I need to control his elbow line. If his elbow line is way outside my hips, I can't physically armbar this guy. So whether I move around his elbow or whether his elbow gets moved to me, somehow I need my hips to be past that, um, you know, fulcrum point. Um, yeah, like like another good example of that is Danaher was talking one day after class about um, sort of like an overarching point. And it seems kind of simple when you say it initially. He said something along the lines of any strangle can be defined as you reducing the circumference of your opponent's neck relative to the size of your arms relative to the 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 space in between the closed circuit that you make sounds like a pretty simple thing to say you have to reduce the size around someone's throat in order to choke them but then you think about that in regards to the mechanics of all the different moves we do and it, it starts to po- again you talk about philosophy it poses a lot of questions so like a big thing that he's been working on is he's just open, like he's just dropped his triangle series, and a big thing. I think has it come out yet? Or was it coming? It's coming, oh, it's coming out. He's filmed it, yeah. Yeah, but he's work. A, a big thing that he's been working on is is cutting the angle heavily across the neck, mm-hmm. um, and sort of it's all about the way that he sort of approaches it. Is we're not trying to achieve like I'm not telling you to squeeze your knees together or do this. We're teaching the concepts of how do we make that space in between your legs as small as possible. Because that's going to lead to the greatest strangle, as opposed to teaching in yeah a specific technique. A right. Specific so, technique. so what you're saying makes perfect sense. So, you know, for instance, if I hit a triangle, I've got it locked up, but I'm I'm in front of my opponent. We're both our both our heads are facing the same direction. I'm going to need to use adduction of my knees, squeezing my knees together to hit his two arteries. If I just what a lot of beginners will do there is they'll just kind of lock down on their triangle and extend their hips. And all you're doing is generating pressure into the back of their spine, and you're not actually going to be strangling the guy. You're not you're not really making that circumference a lot smaller. Yeah. You need to literally come inwards. 
But if I now take an angle out of the same direction his arm's pointing, so I'm now, like Danaher talks, cutting the angle, mm. I actually need to go away from squeezing my knees together. I need to go to a back healing motion. So it's now my calf and hamstring shutting the arteries. So using the concept of I need to make that smaller, if you give someone the tools to problem solve that, you know, they can work that out. Yeah, I think, I think what you said there is, is pretty, pretty important to all of it. It's, it's the problem, giving people the tools to solve problems as opposed to, you know, there's that old adage, teach a man to fish and he'll feed himself for life, give a man a fish and he'll feed himself for a day. Um, same sort of deal. He's giving his athletes uh, tools to solve problems that he's gonna that they're gonna face in competition. Which I think one of the ways, because obviously he's a very well spoken man, he said it's a, a chaotic and unpredictable engagement of two athletes. But in training, if I can give the athletes the tools to problem solve in that chaotic exchange, we can be better prepared than someone that's just trained for specific circumstances. Because of the different amount of circumstances that can arise during competition, it's better to prepare using uh, problem-solving methods than it is to, to uh, um, train individual circumstances. Yeah, no, and I think that's why, I mean, that's, there's no secret. Yeah. He's creating some of the best guys in the world. And that's yeah. why you go yeah. and train there and you go, I haven't experienced this. See, I've trained at some other academies. I've, um, I went to Marcelo Garcia's academy when I was in New York, and I mean, those guys are so good. But it's kind of like, okay, I see what they're doing to me. They're so good at it, they can still... They still get that guard pass to work on me, but it's so good that I can't stop it. But I, I sort of get a concept of what's happening. Yeah. Whereas you go into that room at Danaher's, and because of the way they're problem solving, and it's it's obscure jiu-jitsu, you, you're shocked. You're like, I just don't. Yeah. He just he, he made me look at his left hand, choke me with his right hand. Like it was it was just it was trickery. It doesn't seem right. I wasn't. Yeah. I've never experienced that before. Yeah. You're like you're like. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work this. Like I think I think there was this one choke that when I had that one round, or it might have done two. It's definitely one round with uh, Jake Shields, and he was—he could see he was going for the same choke, same setup, just you know, putting the knee in, other leg goes inside, bringing me onto the overside and taking my back from there with the arm already in choking. Oh, man, I thought at the end of those rounds, I was like, all I'm doing is not letting him get that. Just he can take the arm, he can do whatever he wants. He's just not getting that choke. So I defend, I grab that arm, I def- do everything you think. Like, okay, it's impossible. He can't strangle me here. But then he pushes you forward, and instead of getting swept, you go out to post, and then he's underneath the chin. So like, it's like it's like the inevitability is is the bit that's surprising for you. It's just like it's even when you roll with Jason, like Jason, when Jason's very good at like the knee cut pass. Um, when he's doing that, you sort of like, how do I stop this? And you, you run through all these things you think of to stop this, and every time you try and put a new barrier in his way, he's solving it and going straight over it and. Mm. Yeah, very excited. Anyway, let's not get bogged down here. Yeah. So, um, let's switch gears back. So you, you day six, night six, you finish up with Gary. He doesn't rape you. You yeah. end up yeah. keeping your bottom virginity. Well, yeah, as well, far I mean, as I understand, there was, there was a lot of other things. I can't like, speak for... like one night, I, I was in the hotel and I don't think he thought I was in there, and uh, he tried to come into the room while I was asleep. This is this is when you've got all the keys. Yeah. So he has another set of keys. Yeah, he has another set of keys. Yeah. So you paid three hundred dollars yeah. for nothing. Yeah. So I woke Correct. up. In, yep. in this tiny room to see the door open yes. he's currently at the foot of my bed how much clothing fully clothed okay, which right. is a bit weird I feel like yeah. if you're going to commit to coming into my room yeah. you might as well entice like, you a little bit yeah yeah yeah. Um, so we finished up there and I went to the, the Jane Hotel 
I mean, there's too many. Like, what's the name of this place you stayed at before? So we at least know the Chelsea Muse Guest House. Chelsea Muse Guest House. For some of you, you might want to stay there. For the rest yeah, of you, you may well, not I mean, want to. I mean, if you're looking for some easy action, Gary's. Gary's the man. Gary's okay. Or I'm just like super attractive. Maybe, maybe, maybe. you're super attractive to older homosexual older, older men. Homosexual men. Yeah. Possibly. Not. not I can the, see that. Not the field I'm shooting for, but yeah. You know, you can't. You can't. Uh, can't win everything. But yeah, so I, I, I leave. I leave that gym. That gym, that hotel, <laughs> and uh, go and stay at the other hotel, which was um, it was the Jane Hotel, and this place was lovely. This is this is old. I mean, everything, everything, anything's going to be lovely after. Yeah, yeah. But this place was just truly lovely. House. Like it's this old. I think it was established in the sixties. Uh, sort of red brick. Uh, this is not in Chelsea anymore. This is in, this is just down the street. This is okay. actually further downtown from where I was staying. So you sort of I was staying in Fifteenth Street. Yep. Like Fifteenth Street in between Seventh and Eighth. And this is down, yeah, sort of 14th and 8th, and then about five minutes walk all the way down or right on the edge of the Hudson. Right. Yep. And you're um, about, so to give people an idea, it's about 15 blocks from Henzo's, yeah, depending on how many people blocks, on the yeah. road. It's probably about 15, 20 minute walk yeah, somewhere. Yeah. 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 Um, so I go and I stay there, and um, this place is lovely. Yeah, no, no complaints about that. That place was lovely. If, if I mean, it's, it's shared bathroom, so if you're comfortable doing that... Um, the bathrooms were totally clean. People were like, there was enough bathrooms that it wasn't crammed. Um, the rooms are small, but you had an experienced American toilets before. They have a very high water yeah, level for those yeah, that don't is, know. This is a spin out. You can do a touchdown every time. Mm. Mm. Like I'm talking, if you imagine a block toilet in Australia, yeah. that's regular. Yeah. So every- Americans don't understand how to do a toilet. Yeah, no, isn't it funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that was uh, the Jane. Yeah, the Jane was. It was a lovely hotel. So nothing exciting to say nothing there, but exciting. sounds I mean, like it was more, a lovely place. more excitement for. Yeah, it was definitely. Gary. I mean, there's the, it's it's kind of like that that weird thing where there's like so many things happen that it's hard to sort of catalogue them. But yeah, like, sure. Even now, thinking off the top of my head, while I was staying at the at Gary's house, um, there was another day. We, obviously, that's shared bathrooms as well. Of course, is it Gary's bathroom downstairs? You've got no, to go to. I no. at least had a bathroom on okay. the floor, so I walk out of my room and there's a totally naked young, I'm going to say about mid twenties mm-hmm. guy. It's totally naked, and there's like a small sink, and he's washing a certain part of his body. In the in, sink? In the sink. Good. Now, there's a shower about four feet in the other direction. Nah, you don't want to waste the shower water. Yeah, I mean, why, why bother going for a full shower? Yeah, so, he's yeah. just washing that. So, then I mean... I think it's hilarious. that you, Did your mum book you that one? Yeah, and your mum's a lovely lady. I'm She's sure she lady. probably doesn't. She, she had no. She would, and I mean, that's pretty hilarious that she booked you in a homosexual yeah, retreat. I think funny. that is really yeah. good. And then, like, it wasn't this. Uh, I mean, as bad as the the whole assault thing is, there was obviously a lot of other like this place. You could just tell this Gary. He just didn't give a shit about what people thought. Like it was a film, no joke. I reckon of about you know five five mil on everything. Of dust. So I, I the first day I got there, I went and bought rags and a. Oh, you cleaned your own room. I cleaned my own room. Wow. Um, so it sounds to me, by the time you spent your 300 US, taking into account psychological damage, you could have just got yourself probably a nicer hotel yeah, and, and and not experience it. Well, well, maybe maybe the experience yeah. is worth that. Maybe yeah, once. Once. I mean, it's like yeah. not something you want to do twice, but yeah. for once, it's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. So you basically, training-wise, spent your days bouncing between. So for those that haven't been over, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays are the probably best days at Henzo's. You do a, an AM session about 8 AM roughly. Danaher comes down and yeah. wanders in. Yeah. And then a lunchtime session. There's sort of yeah. two sessions to be done there. Yeah. And then what you spent your Thursday, Friday, Saturdays at Brooklyn? 
at Jace. Brooklyn. I'd yep. be at Brooklyn, and sometimes so every day, Danaher teaches at twelve thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, he does the twelve thirty session. It's gay and no gay. Uh, so That's he, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He doesn't teach Tuesday, Thursday. That's no, the Brazilian session. Sure, maybe yeah, that changed no, since I was there. Okay. Tra- well, it's changed, but every day, 12.30, he trains there. Okay. So usually, although the problem was that it would be, Jason would be at Brooklyn at 12.30 as well. Mm. So I was sort of alternating. Obviously, I wanted to train with Jason as much as I can because that was just like being with a bunch of yep. killers. And you um, kind of know him a little bit more yeah, from yeah. our relationship. And, those, yeah. and it's a smaller group. I got to be like friendly with a few yeah. of those guys. Yeah. Um, so he trains with... Um, John Callistine. John Callistine. sorry, Callistine, I think it is. Um, uh, Ariel Sexton, the Quinn. one one FC fighter. Um, yeah. Quinn, Ryan Quinn. Yeah. Um, bunch of, you know, uh, world, world champs. And um, like an Olympic wrestler, mm-hmm. Brandon Escobar, who I met. Um, uh, he's completed in the Olympics in freestyle wrestling. So like, it's a very high caliber worth of, yeah, good room. In there with. So I wanted to be there as much as I could. Um, at the same time, I, uh, I I wanted to train with Danaher. So usually what I do is I'd either do um, six thirty. It was an early six thirty class taught by Daniel Gracie, former Pride fighter. Um, Which he, days was this? Sorry, uh, this is uh, Tuesdays and. Oh no, it was only yeah, it was only Tuesdays. Yeah. It was this early class at Brooklyn. See, I went to Marcelo's on those days, mm. so so you went in there, yeah. Yeah, so I went in there. Yep. Um I'd go there, do that six thirty class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then either train with Jason or I'd go back to uh, Manhattan and train with uh John Danaher. Not bad. Yeah, look, I mean, you can't really go wrong in any gym <laughs> you're going to. Like obviously um we're both sort of favourites when it comes to John Danaher and Jason Real, but I mean you sort of don't get it until you go there, but like... Yeah, it sounds a bit pretentious, but I definitely recommend anyone that's really into their jiu-jitsu and really into that style of jiu-jitsu. I mean, if you're a guy who really is only into federation style and and uh, you know not into the leg attacks, you might not find it as interesting, but I think mm. if you're into a sort of a more open style of jiu-jitsu, you're not going to be disappointed going yeah, no, and training it's definitely, there. Yeah, definitely... Definitely the place to go. Yeah. But you're not going to go wrong no matter where you go. Like, there's a mm. lot of... Oh, yeah. New Jersey's known for... Which is just across, um, sort of, on the other side of New York to the five boroughs. It's another state. Um, New Jersey's known for its wrestlers, sort of freestyle yep. American wrestlers. So, you get a lot of college wrestlers coming That's across. where Weidman's from. Chris Weidman, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so you get, you get, like, you... I've said this story before, but, like... You talk about training at Marcelo Garcia's. I ran into Marcelo Garcia. In yeah, this a, is crazy. In, in a shopping market, so I didn't train it at Marcelo's. Too tight to pay the fees at Marcelo's. Too as well. tight, yeah, and yeah. just time. I You'd spent all your money with Gary. Yeah, I spent all my money with Gary. It's a shame. To that money could have gone better. Better spent yeah. at Marcelo's. I would have yeah. thought. Just, just take it and train yeah. at Marcelo. Um, so I, I was sort of a bit bummed about not getting to see the. Yeah, possibly one of the, the greatest grapplers of all time. But you got to meet him in a convenience store. Yeah. He walks, I walk into this, because uh, that's another thing that you don't get. You talk about so many differences between Australia and New York, in America. One of the biggest ones I found is that there's no like Coles. There's yeah, no, like, I mean, there's Whole Foods. It's difficult, yeah. It's, but Especially not Manhattan, frequent. yeah. Mm. What you'll get is pharmacies. Mm. Yeah, yeah like, isn't it silly? I, the the pharmacies really? have everything, yeah. Do I, like their pharmacies are like, They're everywhere. Coles. Yeah. It's essentially Coles, is what it is. It's like an IGA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I go in and I'm walking in just to get a drink or whatever I'm you know, getting. And this Brazilian guy walks past me and I'm like, double take. 
and I was wearing the Sydney West uh, jumper. So I think when he looked back along the aisle, he saw jiu-jitsu and sort of went, this guy recognises me. And if there's one thing anyone who's ever talked about Marcelo Garcia says is that he's the nicest bloke on the planet. Yeah, he I've could talked have about this. He could have walked away and you know, yeah. ignored me, but he stopped and went to shake my hand and sort of acknowledged that I knew who he was. And I was like, oh, sorry, mate, you, you know, Marcelo Garcia. And he said, yep, how you going? And he st- st- stood there and talked to me for a... Yeah, oh, Marcelo, Marcelo might be the nicest guy in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and he didn't have to do that. Yeah. No, no. So, no. yeah, I met Marcelo Garcia. That's good. I'm very happy you got to meet him. I, my, my takeaway from Marcelo, so I trained, trained for a couple of weeks and I bounced between Henzo's and Marcelo's. And every day that I went into Marcelo's gym and he was there, I could be on the mat, I could be sitting over on the side taking notes. He would walk up to me, shake my hand and say, hi, Luke, how are you? He'd remember my name. I mean, they've got a huge gym. They've got so many people going through there and he made that effort every time. And yeah. That goes a long way, like a yeah. really long way, yeah. and um, and it wasn't fake. He wasn't doing it for business reasons. He, he was just doing it purely because yeah. because he's just he cares about people. So yeah, he's he's fantastic. If you um, got to spend some more yeah. time with him, like I mean, if I go back, I definitely yeah. trade it. Marcelo's. It's it's a not it's a very different style, but it's yeah. just to experience that is is, is fantastic. And uh, as you know. In a perfect world, you do all this, but I mean, I've got more than enough training in already. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's only so much you can do in two weeks. See, what people don't realize is as well, you did it like I did it, where you didn't go out partying, you went over and trained every day. So a lot of guys still go, oh, look, I'm going to catch a session, but I'm going to go on Friday night, I'm going to drink, Saturday night, before you know it, you've just, all your time's gone. Even just being there for two weeks, you feel like it's not enough time. By the time you acclimatize, by the time your jet lag's gone, you set your routine, you find out where your food is. You, like even just little things like working out with the laundromat is to wash mm-hmm. by the time you set everything up and you get going you're in your routine and then it's like oh I've, I'm, yeah. I go in a few days I, uh, I I had two days where I didn't train when I was over there one was a Sunday because I couldn't catch the session I had to change hotels the other one was the Monday where I was just beat up and I just you know needed a break and I also wanted to go and see like the quintessential sites of New York um, so I, I sort of spent a day trailing but like for those two days, just because you're there to train, and they, obviously that was the reason why I went. You feel guilty about it. Like you're like, oh god, having like I could have caught two sessions with John Danaher today. But I, I feel like you, you can't be too tough on yourself. Like you got to realize I'm training twice a day. Um, There's only so much can yeah. be done. I mean, I so I felt the same way. There was, I think there was one day I didn't train. I actually ended up getting like staff in my foot from some one of those one of the gyms that obviously wasn't clean enough mm. I had a cut of my foot and ended up on antibiotics which was not ideal um, so I had a couple of days where I just literally couldn't train my foot was so sore and um, I still went into the gyms on those days but you feel like you're just burning time you're like I'm here on the other side of the planet here to, yeah. here to work and I can't so like if you could and you could afford it you'd do it and you didn't have family at home you'd do it for a month you'd do it for six weeks mm. that's how like yeah. I think about Think about after that first two weeks, you've got a feeling for everything. Imagine then another month of just solid, consistent training. You, your level would jump substantially. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you got to meet. So a big thing that sort of I didn't get to get into too much, which I, I, I sort of got into at the end there, is um, the way that... So we're sort of used to classes running. Anyone that trains with us at Sydney West would know that like we, we all stand together and rank in a circle and we think it's official start to a class. We do a short warm-up, then we get into drilling. John Danaher, I suppose, because he's training a bunch of world standard guys. Yeah, he's not running a class as he, such. It's not yeah. fair to think of it as a class. It's, he, he's running an experience, a session yeah, to make a session. Yeah. And so if you want to sit off, if you sit off in the corner and do your own shit, he's not going to stop and ask you if you know it. He's not walking around the room making sure everyone's got it. Mm-hmm. He teaches the the best stuff on the on the planet, 
but you have to be there to pay attention to listen to it. Yep. So you have a lot of guys before and after class that will stay on the mats for an hour, two hours just drilling. But those guys know each other. Like That's where very, you get the good stuff, but... Yeah. So I feel... I, I started to get into it in the end, but I can imagine if you spent a month there, mm. you, you'd sort of... You, you'd make yep. inroads with people and, mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd, you'd be able to spend sort of like a solid day almost just on the mats. Yeah. Just just training. You burn it up, mate. Well, it's pretty hot. my... Um, my buddy Ethan Thomas, who who just got his uh, black belt, big big shout out to Ethan, congratulations. Yeah. He um he spent two stints over there, and he's done about I think the first time he did about six weeks, second time he did about, did about eight weeks. And uh, Ethan's a real quiet guy in the room; he just sits there and watches. And he didn't say anything to anyone for about the first fortnight. And then uh, Danaher said, "Hey, I think like hey Aussie, you know, and you realise it was Aussie. Come over here." And sort of then he was just he was in like, but it takes time. They're not going to just... They have that many people come through the room. They're not going to pander to everybody and give you a paddle. If yeah. you're going there expecting to have the red carpet rolled out, you, you totally... They don't care what belt you are, actually. They care about the fact that you're... You're kind of... Your consistency, like... Uh, and how good you are. They don't care. There's plenty of black belts going there that get smoked by their purple belt. So they don't... They don't care about really yeah. what belt you are. That all means nothing. Yeah. So if you're going there, if you're in your own academy and you're used to being this big shot, and then you go in there expecting that, you're, you're going to be severely... Yeah, it's going to be a learning shot. curve. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, that's fantastic for, for any egos that get overinflated. Mm-hmm. But, um, man, I just... I can't I can't recommend it enough. So, we'll, I mean, we'll wrap it up because I think you're about to die. We've been in a sauna here. I don't know how long we've been going for. Um, I'm hoping that everyone's kind of interested with the content that we're um, that we're talking about. What's the wrap up? What's the you know? Obviously, you'd recommend it to other people. That, that yeah, yeah. Look, if it's, if you're New York's a great place to go. Is you could spend. I was there for thirteen days. You can spend thirteen days there doing touristy stuff. Oh, skateboard. easy. It's easy. it's one of the most easy. fantastic places ever. It's a yeah. fantastic place to go. Going there to do jujitsu will be if you love jujitsu, which I feel like if you stick with it and like everyone sort of falls in love with it. You're in love with jiu-jitsu and you and you choose to do this trip. It'll be by far the most uh, rewarding, but one of the most challenging things you'll ever yeah. do. Yeah. Um, you know, every session you you feel like beat down and a bit sad because you've just got smashed. But every night, I sort of I did these video logs where I talk about mm. the day and sort of record the look, night. I think you ha- you have to somehow record your information, whether it's notes or yeah, video. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's super important. Um. But, you know, I look back on it now and I'm still even just sitting here in the sauna and I, although I'm dying from heat, you know, it's so, it's so much fun. Like, it's every single, you know, highlight reel you see, like Gordon Ryan, he was at no, I, I, I trained in the same room as, as possibly the greatest no-gear grappler of all time for two weeks. Yeah. I was in the same room as him every day, training with his training partners. That's... If that's not like a, a experience of a lifetime, I don't know what is. No, you're hundred percent right. And how many other sports can you do that? So let's say, well, you played you played a reasonable level of rugby league, right? Mm. I'm sure even at the level you're at, you weren't training with the NRL guys yeah. every day. Or, or yeah. I mean, maybe that's not even a good example because that's a smaller level. But let's say if you're into basketball, you're not. Then you're, when are you going to get an opportunity if you're a guy that plays basketball to go and jump in and yeah, train for with sure. LeBron? When are you going yeah, to get to go train with like the world's best? Not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You might be able to do like some charity day where they like half ass throw a it's not ball. The same thing, it's not the same it? thing. No. no. I'm I'm training. I'm doing what he does every day. I'm saying mm-hmm. what he does every day. Yeah. It's it's an amazing thing to do. Of course, I recommend anyone to do it. But I suppose that the only caveat to that would be uh, prepare yourself. 
Um, prepare yourself for Gary. For for Gary, yeah, yes. definitely for Gary. Uh, but prepare yourself for the um, you go on a train with the world's best people, mm. and um, yeah, just enjoy to learn, learn to enjoy it. Like, if there's anything I found is, for me, it's it's sort of it's been like the first week of jujitsu where you're a white belt all over again, because you essentially feel like a white belt. You're getting tapped mm-hmm. out by everyone, but you're like, oh my god, how do I get to where you are? Yeah. It's like, like you know someone takes you back and strangles you out and you're like that was magic how'd you do like do you have a superpower but then you're they're like do you want me to teach you the superpower it's like that all mm. over again i'm like you guys are so good and i can get to being that good i just got to put in the time put in the work here's what you have to do here's how hard you have to work here's how long you have to be consistent for yep. and you can get to that level yeah yeah anyone can like that's if, if there's one thing about jiu-jitsu it's like it's not. It's so technical that it's not about your uh, athleticism. Your athleticism. I mean, that helps. I often say that definitely helps. If you're yeah. athletic, it's going to help you, but it's not the it's not the only um, criteria. Most mm. definitely. Well, man, thank you for talking to us today. No, that was fun. Me on. Yeah, so for those um, for those listening, just remember to jump on Endless Combat's website, have a look at their gear. Um, those that are those that are looking for some jiu-jitsu and no-gi training or just any type of Brazilian jiu-jitsu training and boxing down here uh, at Sydney West Martial Arts, we we are the premier academy. Hands down. Around, yeah. um, you know, and not, there's some fantastic places uh, in towards the city, and there's some great great gyms around. But we uh, we're really doing a good thing, and we're very excited about where it's going. I'm excited as the as the coach. I'm excited for next year. This has been a good year for us, but I'm super pumped to just see where we go with our, our competition yeah. level next year so thanks man no thank you good job it's been great yeah